COVID circuit breaker. We've come a great distance, but we cannot blow it now. A total shutdown of indoor dining, the closure of Whistler Blackcomb, and many other new restrictions. With variant cases rising, AstraZeneca use slows to a trickle. We are acting decisively unified across this country to pause the use of this vaccine. The safety concerns limiting its use. And growing help for victims of the North Shore stabbing. The messages of support have been coming in from across BC and frankly right across Canada. What we're learning about suspect Yannick Bandalgo. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Many important developments in the fight against COVID-19. BC has announced more restrictions and changes today to the AstraZeneca rollout plan. A key factor is the sharp rise in new cases, prompting health officials to reinstate some of the restrictions that had been eased. Now Richard Zussman is live with the details tonight. Richard, health officials are using the term circuit breaker in this case. They sure are, Chris. For weeks, the province was trying to keep a balance. How to keep things open while keeping transmission of COVID-19 down. Over the last few days, though, that balance out of whack. And now the province coming up with some new restrictions. Rising cases, strain on the healthcare system. Now, new restrictions. A province-wide circuit breaker. We do not yet have enough people protected with our vaccines to keep our loved ones and our communities safe. A circuit breaker is now required to break the chains of transmission in our province. Heading into Tuesday, restaurants will only have patio, takeout and delivery service. Indoor dine-in service now banned. And the patio can only be for those in your immediate household or bubble. Our balance in BC is now off. And this is a very challenging time. In the last six days, we've seen the start of exponential growth. Health officials say the spread of the virus is being charged by those in their 20s and 30s. Do not blow this for the rest of us. Do not blow this for your parents and your neighbours and others who have been working really, really hard. Gyms will remain open, but only for individual workouts. Group activities for adults now banned, but personal training sessions are allowed. Kid classes and sports are still allowed under current rules. As for travel, the province asking people to only leave their communities for essential reasons like work or medical. Asking anyone who recently traveled outside a health authority and has any COVID symptoms to stay home and get tested immediately. Also a call from everyone to reconsider whether they need to be in their offices. We're asking everybody to take that measure again to work primarily from home as much as possible. And just a few days after announcing limited indoor in-person religious services would be allowed, they're now cancelled. Outdoor religious gatherings can remain under the current rules. And the Whistler Black Home Ski Resort is being forced to close until April 19th. So that's where we are at right now. It's us, all of us, and vaccines against COVID-19. All right, reality check, uh, Richard. What is it going to take to lift these restrictions? 
And these restrictions are in place until April 19th. So that's three weeks, Chris. And as you heard from Health Minister Adrian Dix there, he mentioned vaccines. It's about getting vaccines in as many arms as possible. And the province will be watching very closely to see if transmission goes down. If that is the case, once we get to the 19th, the restrictions could be lifted. But if transmission continues, they could be uh, extended or potentially more restrictions could be added if what the province announced today doesn't work. Lots of work to do between now and then. Richard, thank you very much. That's Richard Zussman in Victoria for us tonight. Well, these new restrictions are yet another blow to businesses already pushed to the breaking point during the pandemic. John Waugh now on what it means for these businesses and those who've been trying to support them. Hey there, how's it going? For how many today? Dining room, party of zero. The B.C. food and beverage industry has once again been flipped on its head, with dine-in service off the menu until at least April 19th. I lose sleep at night in terms of how much is being deferred. We've taken on loans, we've taken on lines of credit, anything to just keep bridges open. Service will be limited to open patios, takeout and delivery to deal with the rising number of COVID-19 cases associated with indoor social gathering. We're seeing that lead to um, augmentation of transmission through places like uh, restaurants and bars and pubs. It's a shocking step backwards for the already struggling sector. Some hoping this sacrifice now will at the very least pay off later. I think it's wise to shut everything down indoors for the next three weeks so that we can hopefully have a better summer. But telling business owners to pivot to patios they say is an imperfect solution. It's going to be a very difficult few weeks. There's not enough customers coming out there, and we can't guarantee it's going to be a sunny day to have people on the patio. Similar frustration from another sector doing its best to be flexible as the province puts a pause on indoor group fitness for adults. While some businesses in this scenario have been able to pivot to a more online virtual sessions with their customers, it's certainly not a sustainable business model. When asked if the province would step in with added support for business, the Premier still working on a plan. I don't want to get into specifics about uh, the next three weeks other than to say uh, that the minister's on it, uh, the government's on it, and we'll have more to say once the programs have been developed. When you place greater restrictions on businesses, you need to make sure that support measures are in place. Without those supports in place, many BC businesses say what Dr. Henry calls a circuit breaker has left them in the dark. It doesn't just hurt us financially, but it hurts because we have done everything we can to follow the rules. Some likely worried about whether they'll even be able to keep the power on when this three-week pause is done. John Hua, Global News. A state of shock in BC's top ski resort town, Dr. Bonnie Henry says attempts to reduce COVID transmissions from Whistler Blackcomb aren't working and she's shutting it down. Grace Key is live in Whistler tonight with Reaction Grace. Safe to say they are not happy up there. Yeah, a lot of businesses obviously shocked, a lot of skiers upset. You know, we were just going up and down the stroll here, trying to talk with some business owners and managers, and a lot of them just weren't available. They said they were all in emergency meetings, so a lot of people just trying to wrap their head around what has just been announced. Again, Dr. Bonnie Henry this afternoon saying the increase in the COVID numbers, specifically the uh, P1 variant of concern associated with Brazil, uh, has been spiking here. Uh, this one also hitting more younger people. Dr. Bonnie Henry 
Henry also saying there's been transmission from Whistler to other areas of the province. Now, earlier this month, those living in congregate staff housing were vaccinated. We did speak with the Whistler mayor who was told, uh, he was briefed this morning about the closure. It's incredibly challenging. I, I don't think I can, I, I've used the word devastating too much. I don't, I'm not sure you can l- load enough into that word anymore. Uh, but this has been incredibly devastating and uh, we need to get past it as a community. And, and that feels a little thin as well. The word I have is threadbare. This has been deeply challenging for all of us. Now, the chief operating officer of Whistler Blackcomb did release this statement. Throughout the season, Whistler Blackcomb has prioritized the health and safety of our guests and employees. Today's order from the province of British Columbia to close Whistler Blackcomb came as a surprise, and we respect the decision and are taking immediate steps to comply. Of course, the big question now is, are they planning to open up again? We did uh, pose that question. They didn't uh, have an answer yet. So for all of you folks who have those passes, It's still unclear right now what exactly is going to be happening. I think just a lot of folks just trying to wrap their minds, uh, heads around what's just been announced. I'm sure shocking indeed for them. Grace Keen Whistler, thank you. All right, let's take a look at our numbers now. Remember, this is three days worth. We have 2,518 new cases of COVID. That includes Friday's record-setting daily count of 936 new cases. Our provincial total is now more than 98,000. 299 people are in hospital, 79 of them in the ICU. Six more people have died. And now 611,803 British Columbians have received at least one dose of the vaccine. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at the variants and an interesting Mm. breakdown, Keith, of who is being affected by the different types. Yeah, certainly. We'll get to that in a moment. But the numbers of variant cases continue to climb in this province, both uh, total and active. Take a look at the differences uh, since Friday. We've got uh, more than 300, we have 321 new cases of variants. That's 2,233 in total. 413 active cases. That's an increase of 155. Again, the most of the variants are of the UK B117. That's an increase of 115 since Friday. But the concerning one is the Brazilian variant, the P1. As you heard Grace talk about how rampant that is in Whistler, an increase of 39 active cases since Friday, and that is seen as a potentially more severe uh, variant. Now, there are differences between the variants, and for example, where they're located. Uh, the B117 is most prevalent in Fraser Health, uh, but the Brazilian variant is most prevalent in Vancouver Coastal. In fact, most of those are associated with cases in Whistler, and again, they involve young people. The median age of people with uh, of the UK variant is 35. That's lower than uh, regular COVID-19. And 27 is the median age of Brazilian cases. So again, younger people are getting hit by the variants, but disproportionate to the rest of the population. I just crunched the numbers, Chris, of the last batch of cases, more than uh, 3,000 cases looking at in terms of the age breakdown. 40% of the cases were contracted by people between the age of 20 and 40, even though they represent 28% of the population. They're getting 40% of the cases on a daily basis, and they'll be getting more variants than others. Very alarming numbers. Yeah, concerning for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Keith.
Now, a blow to the vaccine rollout came today when the AstraZeneca vaccine was sidelined for anyone under the age of 55. Some adverse effects were flagged in younger people in Europe, and now public health officials want to press pause here. Aaron MacArthur tells us thousands have already been vaccinated in British Columbia, and more doses are on the way. The Vancouver Convention Centre was supposed to be one of the hubs where the 300,000 frontline healthcare workers received their fast-track vaccine in April. The plan was to use the AstraZeneca shot, separate from the age-based rollout. That plan, now on hold. This is our safety system working across the world and in Canada. Around the world, AstraZeneca has been beset by confusion about its safety and efficacy. Health Canada maintains the risks are far outweighed by the benefits. Now, the National Advisory Council on Immunization says people under 55 should wait. While there haven't been any cases reported in Canada, in Europe there have been dozens of reports of severe blood clotting associated to the shot. The risks were thought to be about one in a million. A recent German study suggests that number is more like one in 100,000. Cases identified so far have primarily been in women under the age of 55, although cases in men have also been reported. One of the largest groups of essential workers set to receive the AstraZeneca shot, teachers. I am worried that uh, we may not see the vaccination program proceed for essential workers as was laid out. In Surrey, the superintendent tweeted on Monday, assuring everyone early access right now remains with the Pfizer vaccine. Across B.C., union leaders are monitoring the situation closely. We understand it's been paused for maybe a few days. Um, any pause is disappointing, but um, we understand the reason for it. There are only about 30,000 doses of AstraZeneca in B.C. right now. Another 200,000 or so set to arrive later this week. The question will be whether people trust this vaccine enough after the pause to take it when they are able to book an appointment. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. BC's growing COVID-19 cases are sparking more changes in schools across the province with the government expanding its mask requirements. Kylie Stanton has the details and a new warning for parents in one health region. After a two-week break, students are back to school and parents are doing their best to try and stay relaxed. So far, he's been safe, so... I try not to overreact until it's time to react. I, I feel good. I feel totally safe. But according to Island Health's COVID-19 rapid response team, there's cause for concern. Late Sunday, it sent out this letter to school districts, warning of an expected spike in COVID-19 cases among children following the spring break. It says all signs indicate that there will be significant numbers of exposures at schools in the weeks to come. Going on to suggest students and staff should also consider continuing to wear masks whenever indoors, even if seated apart from others in the same room or outdoors, but in close proximity to others. The provincial health officer now echoing that as part of new measures introduced Monday. We're going to be updating our K-12 public health guidance to support mask wearing for all students down to grade four in schools across the province. Surrey schools are one step ahead, 
This is day one of mandatory masks for grades 4 to 12. Well, we're hearing people are very happy to have a mask mandate in schools because that's something that Surrey teachers have been asking for all year. But that's not all they're asking for. Teachers want to see the mask mandate include grades K to 3 as well, enhanced ventilation in schools, and the ability for boards to offer a hybrid system as necessary. We need to keep our students, our teachers, our support staff, our you know, school staffs all safe. These measures are necessary to do that. Parents here, however, are happy to stick with the basics as long as everyone around them is doing the same. Wash your hands, do your best. Stay away from people. I think they'll be fine. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Vancouver's notorious partying penthouse owner is in trouble with the law again. 42-year-old Mo Movisagi is already facing three charges for violating public health orders and selling alcohol relating to allegations he was running a makeshift nightclub in his apartment and is under court-ordered conditions. Police went to the apartment early Saturday morning to investigate an allegation that Movisagi was breaching his condition, limiting the number of visitors. Crown says Movisagi argued he only had two people inside, but after being handcuffed, he collapsed. Crown says police found roughly six and a half grams of cocaine, MDMA, and another drug on him. He pleaded guilty today to simple possession of cocaine, was given 12 months probation, and ordered to pay a $100 fine. He's due back in court April 1st in connection with the charges related to his alleged condo nightclub. An outpouring of support for North Shore stabbing victims, the thousands of dollars being raised for those injured, and the latest on the violent drifter now facing a second-degree murder charge. That's next on the News Hour. Laughter is vital to healing. Call it street therapy. The curbside comedian finding joy in bringing laughter to others. That's coming up. And the stuck ship gets unstuck. How soon the ocean traffic backlog could be cleared through the Suez Canal later on the news hour. Right now, though, the man accused of stabbing a woman to death and injuring six others was due in court today. Yannick Bandalgo is charged with second-degree murder. Imad Agahi is live in North Vancouver right now. And Imad, the integrated homicide investigation team held an update this afternoon with some new details. Yeah, Chris, we are learning more about the accused attacker, a 28-year-old man from eastern Canada who police are investigating further to find out uh, why he was here and what the motive could have been behind Saturday's attack. This is 28-year-old Yannick Bandalgo, the man accused of killing a woman in her 20s on Saturday in North Vancouver. The horrifying and random attack also victimizing six more people stabbed and left bleeding inside and outside of the Lynn Valley Library in the middle of a busy day. It was carnage, really. I mean, people were standing around holding necks and hands and uh, bodies. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant at all. Suzanne Till, a single mom of three, has life-altering injuries and faces a long and uncertain road to recovery. Shiloa Clausen, a teacher at Argyle Secondary, was stabbed in the head. She's in better shape now, but her scars, both physical and surely emotional, will be with her for some time. On Monday, this victim was able to return to the scene. The community will also need time to heal. 
We just wanted to come here and pay our respects and our thoughts to everybody yes. that's impacted yes. by this tragic incident. The sidewalk is now a makeshift memorial, spilling over with flowers. It's also a place to mourn, to hug, and to release emotion. I'm incredibly saddened and outraged by the violence that took place last Saturday. Global News is also hearing from a former colleague in Quebec who says Bendalgo was kicked out of his family home by his father as a young man. Back then he had issues, she writes. I blame them on his family's rejection. We can establish that the accused was unknown and did not have any links to any of the victims based on our information so far. Court documents from Quebec show a history of increasingly violent assaults dating back to 2018. What investigators don't know yet is how he ended up in North Vancouver and why he may have been provoked. And we have to speak about this memorial behind me. It is remarkable how much it has grown over the last two days. So many people coming by, laying down flowers and paying their respects. There was a moment earlier where a man came by, parked his car and played the bagpipe. It was a somber moment. Another thing to add, the accused was actually scheduled to appear in B.C. Provincial Court this morning for a bail hearing. But that uh, proceeding has been adjourned to Thursday because there was an issue getting the accused to the line for his appearance. Back to you. A lot of healing ahead for the folks on the North Shore. Thanks very much, Imad. Up next, the Gastown Guardians. Well, a lot of us are starting to step up for each other to see if we can kind of fill in that gap. How downtown residents are taking control of their own safety after a number of violent incidents. And a truckload of street drugs that seems straight out of the 19th century. There's a tow truck on scene to a stall here at the Portman Bridge. Westbound just past mid-span in the right through lane. Traffic is getting by no problem. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. The latest crime in Gastown has residents believing it's time to take matters into their own hands. A woman was sexually assaulted mid-morning in an alley off Main Street. Now a neighborhood group is coming together to form a block watch and patrol they call the Gastown Guardians. Sarah McDonald reports. In broad daylight Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning, this alley in Vancouver's downtown east side became the site of the city's latest sexual assault. The victim in this case, a harm reduction worker, violently groped while on the job. She was approached from behind uh, by a man whom she did not know and she was sexually assaulted by that man. This guy's literally been following me in circles. A very real threat that all women are innately aware of, including Jamie Coots, whose camera was rolling as a masked man stalked her through the downtown core earlier this month. No charges have been laid in either case, though Vancouver police say the suspect in this latest incident has a different description. The suspect appears to be an indigenous man. Uh, He's in his 30s. He's got a medium to heavy build, uh, a bit of a belly on him. He was wearing a black hoodie and a uh, purple and gold uh, baseball cap, like a Lakers cap. We're seeing more and more cases these days of unprovoked assaults on people. That comes as little surprise to area residents like Graham Williams, who says unsettling incidents are on the uptick and increasingly going unreported. There have been moments where you do feel your pulse raise because there's someone here who 
clearly is a bit of a danger. So Williams and fellow concerned citizens are taking public safety one step further with a community policing initiative spearheaded by locals and independent of police. A network of neighbors offering walking companions, overdose intervention, and safety in numbers. We're not calling in about a lot of things. The interactions that have you scared or that, uh, you know, where somebody maybe does need some help, but you handle it, they're not going through to the police. So a lot of us are starting to step up for each other to see if we can kind of fill in that gap. And offer an extra set of eyes and ears that could have made all the difference here, long before police could even be called. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Border officers and the RCMP in Metro Vancouver made a record bust of a drug that had its heyday back in the 1800s. Officers seized 1,000 kilograms of opium worth an estimated $10 million. The drugs were found in a pair of ocean containers arriving at a lower mainland port. Drug-sniffing dogs helped lead officers to the stash. Up ahead, questions answered in the fatal Snowbirds crash. Investigators confirm what brought down the plane in a flight over Kamloops. And an officer on trial, the case that galvanized the Black Lives Matter movement in search of justice for George Floyd. Traffic is steady north and south over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind intermittent lane closures for overnight maintenance during the overnight hours 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Time to renew your home insurance? Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The container ship blocking the Suez Canal for almost a week is finally on the move. Authorities in Egypt say the container ship has now been freed after being partially refloated by engineers. Other vessels are now moving through the vital waterway. The ship got stuck in the canal last Tuesday, holding up roughly $9 billion in trade traffic every day. George Floyd's death sparked outrage and protests around the world, and today the trial of the police officer charged with killing him officially began. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin faces murder and manslaughter charges. A warning, some of the images in this report may be disturbing. Global's Jennifer Johnson has more from day one of the trial. With powerful words meant to convict an accused murderer, prosecutor Jerry Blackwell painted a grim picture of what happened to 46-year-old George Floyd in the final nine minutes of his life as former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck. While he's crying out, Mr. Chauvin never moves. The knee remains on his neck, sunglasses remain undisturbed on his head, and it just goes on. Blackwell showed the jury graphic video taken by a bystander with Floyd begging for his life. Bystanders yell and plead with Chauvin to get off Floyd's neck, telling the officer Floyd is dying. Witnesses called the police to try and stop Chauvin. Even a 911 dispatcher called her supervisor after watching the scene on a city surveillance camera. My instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. Before the trial began, Floyd's family and friends knelt for nine minutes. They are hoping for justice. They want us to trust the system. Well, this is your chance to show us that we can trust you. Prosecutors acknowledged Floyd had an opioid addiction and had fentanyl in his system during the arrest, which Chauvin's defense team says contributed to his death. Mr. Floyd died of a cardiac arrhythmia that occurred as a result of hypertension 
is coronary disease, the ingestion of methamphetamine and fentanyl. Chauvin's attorney, Eric Nelson, also said Floyd took more drugs while police tried to arrest him, making him aggressive and out of control. Derek Chauvin did exactly what he had been trained to do. The use of force is not attractive, but it is a necessary component of policing. The case has sparked worldwide outrage. Why the jury is under armed guard, the judge sealing their identities. The trial, with the eyes of the world upon it, is expected to last about a month. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. The Royal Canadian Air Force confirms a bird strike set off a series of events leading to the deadly crash of a snowbird jet last May in Kamloops. The world-famous precision flying team was wrapping up a cross-Canada tour meant to bolster morale during the pandemic when the tragedy happened. Ted Chernecki reports. It's always so much easier to diagnose what went wrong with the luxury of time. But on that day last May, Captain Richard McDougall had seconds to deal with a sudden loss of power just 180 feet above the runway. The culmination of a bird ingesting in the engine at this most critical phase of the flight um, is just so, so very remote uh, and yet so very catastrophic. A military investigation report released today identifies this little bird, a western tanager, weighing at most 36 grams, as all it took for the aging Tudor jet trainer to lose power. But the report says the bird in itself was not enough to result in catastrophic failure. There may have been a time early in the uh, incident that they could have gotten out safely. Uh, that started to disappear uh, when other things entered the pilot's mind. Standard procedure in this situation is to keep the wings level and try to climb straight ahead to a safer altitude. Instead, the pilot attempts to avoid heavily populated North Kamloops and starts a 180-degree turn back to the airport. The aircraft banks too steeply at too slow of an airspeed and aerodynamically stalls where the wings stop working. The team's public relations spokesperson is the second to eject, but Captain Jen Casey may have been slowed by an entanglement. It was still being pulled out of the parachute bag um, as, as she hit the ground, unfortunately. My heart goes out to her family and... We wish uh, Captain McDougall all the best in his recovery, which is ongoing. Kamloops is planning to honour Captain Casey. We are uh, building an observation park at the end of runway uh, 0927 at the Kamloops Airport. Uh, we're waiting for the Trans Mountain project to be complete, uh, so our planners are working on that now. Among other things, the report recommends new ejection seat technology and revised training procedures. Ted Chernecki, Global News. TransLink is looking for public input into what it calls the biggest changes to the HandyDart system in its history. TransLink is launching Compass Tap to Pay on HandyDart this coming fall, but is asking for public input into exactly how to roll it out. TransLink also wants to make changes to fares that it claims will reduce rates for 70% of HandyDart users. On the conventional system, seniors and people under the age of 18 can access a discount called the concession rate. That's not currently available on HandyDart. So if we move ahead with this change, then, then people, seniors and people under the age of 18 would be able to travel at a lower rate. TransLink also wants to make changes to HandyDart registration and establish online booking. Anyone who wants to give their input can do so on the TransLink website. Still ahead, a little curbside comedy. How do I be in contact with people without being out there in the world? 
the comedian helping us laugh when you might feel more like crying sometimes. And going fast, how outdoor gear is flying off the shelves. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. Well, with another summer in question because of COVID-19 restrictions, consumers are kicking off a buying and renting spree. That's right. Demand for recreational items is skyrocketing, but expect to wait, probably pay more and not always get what you want. Global Sean O'Shea reports. It's only spring, but with a second COVID summer ahead, Canadians are ready to shell out. I'm just uh, spending uh, my money on some fishing gear. Lockdowns, travel bans and other restrictions are keeping people closer to home again. Everybody wants to get outdoors or uh, renovate their house. <laughs> Viewers tell us they can't find outdoor furniture. New bicycles are backordered and out of stock everywhere. Same with all-terrain vehicles. Fitness equipment is in short supply and pricey. The list goes on. But big-ticket items present some of the biggest challenges. Take boats, for example. It's possible you'll find something you want new right now. 60 days from now, I'm going to say it's going to go the other way, Sean. 90% of that opportunity will be gone. Back on land, it's even more challenging in the RV industry. COVID has certainly accelerated the appeal uh, of RVing across all age groups. Um, you know, rentals are up 650% and manufacturers have been unable to keep up with uh, the demand and growth. This lot in Burlington, 90% of the units have been sold. We'd recommend you put your name on one and it'll come in in the next four to eight months and they're disappointed. Smaller units like this one are among the hottest sellers. Dinette, double door refrigerator. Demand is high, but supply chain problems because of COVID have slowed down deliveries. The Texas state of emergency last month was unbelievable. It, it affected, um, you think of oil business from Texas, it affects plastics, glue, so many pieces that are used on trailers. The resale market for RVs and boats is booming too, but a caution. Buyer beware. Make sure you understand what you're buying. Buy from a reputable firm. Consumers are caught up in a mood to buy, paying a lot more than usual for a chance to spend time outdoors. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Hamilton. Sure didn't want to be outdoors yesterday. No. Crazy <laughs> windstorm blew through. Christy Gordon joins us now with some of the details, Christy. Still some numbers coming in and incredible photos, which I'm going to show you in a second. But these were the peak wind gusts with West Vancouver winning at 97 kilometer an hour gusts. Now, uh, this is not record breaking for this uh, time of year. We do get windstorms, but this is some of the strongest winds that we've seen in about nine years for the month of March. We had 180 uh, homes without power at one point. Look at some of these images. This one from Surrey Dawn sending us this. A tree or branch coming right through their kitchen into their dining room table. And um, we have this one from the Van Dusen Gardens. This is a Korean pavilion which was hit by a tree. It's unsure whether they're going to be able to repair it. It was uh, given to uh, the city of Vancouver and Expo. And this is from uh, Abbotsford. A truck toppled right over because of the winds in that area. And not only across the lower mainland did we see strong winds, but in the interior as well. You can see that trampoline going flying. Now, today the kids head back to school. It was much nicer out there today, that's for sure. Uh, we are going to see more sunshine over the next couple of days. 
days, but you may have noted how cold it was this morning. A lot of frost across the region. You'll likely not see that tomorrow. A little bit warmer because we're going to see a bit more cloud cover tomorrow. All of the action, though, will remain across northern BC with flurries changing to showers. Southern BC, some cloud cover, but still dry conditions. So there's a rainfall for the interior regions, although terrace, you'll likely see some wet snow overnight and double-digit conditions across southern BC. Now, for our region, we'll only warm up to 10 degrees tomorrow, so that's a little bit below seasonal for this time of year. But by Wednesday, that's when you can expect the warmth with highs away from the water up to 15 degrees. So two really nice days, although we may see a bit of drizzle tomorrow morning, but no showers in the forecast until Tuesday. And tonight's central windows weather window, I love this shot. This is in Kitsilano. Sonia and Brian, by the way, they say hi to you, Squire. Signs of spring. Sonia and Brian, they used to work with you, apparently. Oh. The yes. Moylan. Remember the Moylans? Sound very familiar. All right, yes. They didn't look like that bird, though. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. All right, what do you have coming up, Squire? Well, the uh, Chilliwack Chiefs are going to get fans in the building this season. Our, our team and our community, and we're, we're making things that are a little different from the norm. And these fans are completely COVID safe. That looks interesting. All right, using laughter to beat loneliness. The comedy stand that's really about a lot more than laughs. We're going to find a way to be part of the crowd out in, uh, out in Chilliwack. There are a few people from this station who are already, already in, in that stadium. We, we need to join that. We're going to see it in a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like the Whitecaps last year, the Vancouver Canadians will actually start their season closer to Vancouver, Washington than Vancouver, B.C. The C's announced, and this is not a surprise, we thought they would, that they will share a stadium with the Hillsborough Hops, who are in the same high A league as the Seas this year. Hillsborough is about a half-hour drive west of Portland. The uh, Canadians hope that they might be able to finish this season at Nat Bailey Stadium. The uh, year will start for them on May the 4th, and it ends on September 19th. All right, Canada and the Cayman Islands World Cup qualifying. That's Max Crapo of the Whitecaps. And this was an easy one for the Canadians. Alfonso Davies on the penalty kick. Uh, that made it 4 nothing. This goal by Lucas Cavallini actually makes it 8 nothing in the 68th minute. And then Alfonso Davies, after two nice saves by the Cayman Island keeper off Mark Anthony K. Davies knocks it in on the rebound. That's 9 nothing. And then Cavallini gets two more. So this is the most goals the Canadian men have ever put in the net in one game. Inside the area. 11-0, the final, against the uh, unfortunate folks in the Cayman Islands. But it's a lovely place to visit, it really is. Uh, one of the most popular Canucks in the 1970s has passed away. Bobby Schmatz died at the age of 76 years old from pancreatic cancer. He had two stints in Vancouver, 1970 to 1974 and 1980-81. He was truly a man of his time. He did not wear a helmet, and in the 72-73 season, he not only led the Canucks in points, but also penalty minutes. In his final year as a Canuck, which is this one right here, scored 27 goals at the age of 35. That was his final season in the NHL. Played for some other teams, mostly with the Boston Bruins.
All right, tonight, Connor McDavid and the uh, Oilers against the Maple Leafs in Toronto. It's a 1 0 Edmonton when Mitch Marner goes to work, and does he ever? The move in front and the goal. Kyle Turris, though, gets in front of this Adam Larson shot and deflects it in. And that would tie it 2-2. So they go to overtime, and these are two teams that have a lot of fun playing three-on-three. Two-on-one, McDavid, Nurse. The Nurse says goodnight. 3-2 for Edmonton. Well, one thing we saw a lot of last year when sports leagues got back to business under the pandemic was cardboard fans. Teams began filling stadiums in the U.S. with these two-dimensional versions of a crowd. And the idea has crossed the border into the BCHL where the Chilliwack Chiefs are putting some friendly faces in their seats with actually not having any people there. The Chilliwack Chiefs and the Coliseum they play in are days away from dropping the puck on the BC Hockey League's abbreviated season. Chiefs doing everything possible to make it feel and look like business as usual. We have fans in the building and uh, not just people. We have dogs and cats and bands and, and gorillas and all kinds of stuff going on. It's been a, a long grind uh, while we waited to get back to play. And, you know, early on we talked about ideas and this did come up early on. But then our, our owner, Maury Keith, was one of the first to reach out to us and say, hey, that's an idea to get those fan cuts going. And the machines at Prime Signs in Chilliwack haven't stopped humming. It's been cutout after cutout at the shop, a one-of-a-kind project for a local business and community that's always proudly supported its junior hockey team. This is very different. This is like a community-minded, it's not a heavy fabrication job. It's, it's our, our team and our community, and we're, we're making things that are a little different from the norm, yeah. It's not every day somebody asks you to clip out hundreds of people at a time. This truly is a passion project. Neither the hockey club or sign shop are making a profit here. Not quite a week into their cardboard cutout campaign, and the seats are starting to fill up. Honestly, we're hoping for 100 to start with, just filling a few of the camera spots, but now we've already got to a couple hundred, and it's just ballooning right now, and I can see us getting to three or four, even 500 when the time is done. And the beauty of it is, is fans get to keep these cutouts too. So for $25, you get to see yourself at the game and get to keep the cutout and take it home. Are there somebody you see them come across your desk and you're like, this is unbelievable? The sturgeon. The sturgeon's got me going right now. That's the one. The sturgeon fish, don't know where it came from, but it's, uh, it's, it's jumping around. And, and the Sasquatch, of course. Prince George Spruce Kings fans have ordered a bunch. Merritt Centennial fans have ordered a bunch. And, uh, you know, this is all about just making a great atmosphere for our players and doing some community spirit. Spirits will definitely be soaring come Friday night when the BC Hockey League begins its five-week, 20-game season. Rooting on my hometown Prince George Spruce Kings alongside cameraman Trev, Jay Janower, Global Sports. <laughs> See? You can awesome. get your face there. Anybody can if you give me 25 bucks. Oh, a uh, big shout out to uh, Adam Svensson of Surrey yesterday who won in the Corn Ferry Tour. tour make that which is right below the PJ. He won in 2018, and he won yesterday in a playoff. And Shapovalov lost, and Ronich won today at the Miami Open Tennis Tournament. An eye on the go. Canadians. All right, thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Sophie. The new provincial health orders will be felt in several sectors across B.C. Tonight we'll have more reaction to Whistler being shut down due to rising COVID-19 numbers. Plus, we'll look at the other impacts of Dr. Bonnie Henry's orders announced today. Those stories and more coming up tonight at 11 p.m. sharp. All right. Thanks, Jay. And still to come for us, a local comedian dropping the mic to lift spirits. <laughs> I think we've needed this year 
and 2020, it's a good laugh. <laughs> That's mm. right. There's a yeah, local comedian who's providing that to lift spirits for a lot of us. Yeah, a couple of days a week, Tanya Horn sets up a little booth near her home, Nanaimo and Fifth, basically, and uh, entertains whomever walks by and talks and listens to whomever walks by. Twice a week, stand-up comedian Tanya Horn sits down and dispenses more than just jokes. First, it was about trying to uplift people, giving away my comedy, and of course my neighbours are like, oh, not that joke again. Uh, it turned into a whole lot more than comedy. Uh, I've been deemed the street therapist now. I love being able to see the smile in your eyes, Ray, and I love that you walk by here all the time. She listens to passers-by as much as she talks to them on Nanaimo Street in Vancouver, and if the booth idea seems familiar to you, it should. So she came to me back in March, Lucy from Peanuts. Uh, she showed up in a very vivid dream and said, build it and they will come, become the sit-down stand-up comedian. And I woke up and thought, well, that's crazy. And so about five minutes later, my boyfriend was building the stand. <laughs> but Tanya's booth is not just about brightening up other people's days. This helps her as well. Um, I suffer or have suffered from agoraphobia over the last 20 years where I couldn't leave my house for about five years. Uh, people really freaked me out and scared me. During COVID, I, I got sort of in this mode of, well, how do I interact with people without being able to touch them, look at them, see them? So this became a, a great outlet for me to, uh, to do reach out in my neighborhood to talk about mental health and end the stigma around mental health. It is my intention to come here. Awesome and share laughter and tears. And her openness has turned a lot of passerbys into friends. She's picked me up on a few hard days as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So what do you like, what do you think about this booth? What do say? I think it's valuable to the community. I think Tanya's just out here offering herself in her purest, most loving form. I think it's beautiful. I see the transformation that happens when we use humor as a tool and laughter as a tool for uplifting people, bringing kindness and love and joy and compassion into the world. I got a feeling. Any opportunity to share laughter and love with people and fellow human beings, I think, is an amazing experience. I get a thumbs up from, from Ray. Ray. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> well done. And then a nice cameo by Lucy. Yes, Lucy, <laughs> uh, she was kind enough to show up for this. <laughs> might be a bigger crowd at her next session on uh, Tuesday. She's had a few lineups, she said, but people have socially distanced in the lineup. Okay. Uh, that's good to know. All right, thanks for watching, everybody. We'll end on that note. I hope you find some laughs tonight and throughout COVID. Have a good night, all.